Hey guys, I'm Jackie Brubaker, your host of That Girl, the podcast. I'm an author, performer, two-time Emmy Award winner, human relationship specialist, and founder of the wellness website, loveyouevenmore.com. Each week, I bring on inspiring people and experts in their field to have powerful, motivational, and enlightened conversations about relationships, self-development, and how you can live your most authentic life. Follow us for daily updates on myself and the podcast at That Girl the Podcast and at Jackie Brubaker on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and our Patreon page. While you're at it, make sure to check out my new wellness website, loveyouevenmore.com. If you're wanting to dig into developing more self-worth, be healthier about relationships, and learn how to date smarter, go to loveyouevenmore.com and follow us on Instagram at loveyouevenmore. Welcome, Steve Oscar, to That Girl, the podcast. I'm excited to have you on today. Steve, I've been waiting for someone like you to come on the show, and today's the day. It is. <laughs> Steve is a somatic sex educator, which we're going to get all into what that means and all into what he does. But I always like my guests to introduce themselves because you guys do a much better job than I can, and you have a <laughs> lot of things to talk about. So, Steve, please tell people who you are. Yeah, well, everybody wonders, what the heck is that? What's a somatic sex educator? And and basically, I teach people how to feel. You know, one of the things that I notice in our world today is that we are really disconnected from our bodies. Mm -hmm. And uh, especially in the area of sex and intimacy, where, you know, there's so much available in, in the area of touch and feeling But in many ways, we just follow the same script that we've always done when it comes to pleasure. And um, I work with people who they either maybe they have difficulty with sex or it's painful or they have a history of trauma. So sex is difficult or challenging for them all the way through on the other end of the spectrum to people who already have great sex, but they want to expand their capacity to feel more and to experience more pleasure. So it's a whole range of different types of people who are really interested and also want to move beyond what stops them, which for most of it's, it's, it's shame or uh, inability to actually talk about it. And, and yeah. you know, like we can talk about where we're going to go to dinner. We can talk about our yoga class. We can talk about different things. But when it comes to the topic of sex, most of us have, have challenges talking about it. Or we sensationalize it and talk about the crazy wild side of things and and. I think what has my work be really unique is I meet people where they're at in their comfortableness and kind of we push the edges a little bit so that they can begin to explore again. Um, And then I also, uh, I'm an embodied counselor, which is similar. It's more like counseling or coaching or therapy where I work with people to tune in and listen to the wisdom of their body. And sometimes those things are completely separate. There are some clients that we don't talk about sex at all. And then there's some clients that it's integrated and and the work is kind of a combination. So that's kind of a broad brushstroke. I love that. All right. I want to talk about both of those things separately. Um, Let's start with just actually the the second one. Let's start with, I I do feel this, like so many people are not connected to their bodies, even if it has nothing to do with sex, they don't trust themselves. They don't trust their gut. They don't trust their physicality. Um, You know, I'm thinking like, 
oh, I have a knee injury, so I just don't trust my knee. But even if I've done all this physical therapy, I just don't trust my body. So let's talk about kind of how that looks like when you have people come to you and it's that part of it that they just don't trust their body. Yeah. I'd say really where it all began for me is I started out as a massage therapist and I 30 plus years ago went to massage school and studied Chinese medicine. So I went to Shiatsu school, which is uh, based in uh, Japanese in origin and it's based in Chinese medicine. And that's really a holistic approach to our bodies. And I was really fascinated on not just what showed up in people's bodies in the way of aches and pains and injuries, but how we connect that to what we experience in ourselves, like how we hold our life story in our bodies and how whatever might be showing up as pain might be a manifestation of something emotional or something stressful in their work life or their relationships that they're holding their body in a way that's guarded and then they get an injury or so. So there's always this uh, way that things are kind of woven together and we only look at the physical aspect of it. And our medical system is kind of focused on that. Okay. My shoulders hurt, fix my shoulder. And we get really into what's going on and what's wrong with that area. And modern medicine is great at that. But what I really got fascinated is when things didn't heal, when they weren't, you know, predictably, you know, there's a predictable healing process and Western medicine, you can kind of say, okay, it'll take this number of physical therapy sessions or body work sessions, or these drugs or medications or this surgery. So it's kind of like you can see, okay, what's predictable is it gets healed in a certain amount of time. But when it didn't, that's when I really got fascinated. Like, what might this be symbolic of? What is this connected to? And, And a dialogue began to open up where, all kinds of fascinating things um, were um, uncovered and became this injury was then representational of something going on elsewhere in their life. And that dialogue combined with touch-based therapies or movement-based therapies really opened up some things with my clients. And I realized, okay, this is the direction I want to go in. Right. Because Yeah. Western medicine. I mean, it's really just science. We're just trying to figure out in a very scientific method of a way, like what is wrong with you? What kind of diagnosis can I give you? What does that mean in whatever book of science you're looking in for your, for that medical thing, you know, whether it's the (laughs) DSM five or something else, like, what is it exactly? And it is so scientific. Um, you know, this, I'm in school to be a psychologist and I swear to God, I feel like I'm just a doctor right now. Like this is nothing to do about helping people's problems. It's like really scientific and about figuring out diagnosis and also then what would all the, every doctor say to do. So that yeah. can be really limiting, especially if, you know, you were diagnosed with something, did the physical therapy, did the drugs, did the, all the things. And you're like, Oh, but I still feel terrible. Yeah. So when you have those people and they come to you and they're like, it's just, that didn't work. I I'm screwed. <laughs> you know, Like that's it. What do you do with physical touch and all of that, like, how does that work? Like, what would you do? I think the first part of it is really inviting someone to shift the context of what the, what this issue is, you know, if they're having some pain, um, naturally they definitely want to do all the right things medically. I don't say, you know, this is 
uh, a replacement for it. They definitely want to do all those things and, and have that, the lens of science, the lens of medicine to look at what's actually going on. But then how do we integrate how we experience our bodies and what we think, feel, and, and the emotional experience of being human? And then invite them to shift the, the context from one of you know, compartmentalization, like how do we find out what's going on with, and I keep putting my shoulder, I don't have anything going on with my shoulder, but I use that as an example because yeah. you can see it on the Zoom screen and I can point to it. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, if whatever it is and wherever it is in your body that you actually begin to look at what's going on there, but then you start to look at what if this pain, what if this issue is a doorway to learning? Mm. What if it's an opportunity to grow and learn and explore something beyond just the physical pain? And I know from my own experience that uh, when I've done things and done all the right things and it didn't clear up, when I've done some inner work, when I've actually begun to explore and question and wonder about what might this be symbolic of, um, things have opened for me, both emotionally, spiritually, and sometimes that pain just disappears. Um, it's not a foolproof method. It's not a, uh, in fact, there's not even a method. It's actually just a inquiry that kind of goes with the flow of where someone's willing to, where someone's willing to go. And how do you find that? Like, how do you go there with them? Like, are there physical things that you do? Is it physical and verbal? Yeah. Well, it's, um, you know, as a somatic educator, i I feel like I'm giving people some tools so that they can do an exploration themselves. So I, I used the example earlier when I talked about medicine about a lens. Mm -hmm. So I might invite them to use a lens of introspection where they could begin to explore like merely the question where, what might that be symbolic of has someone thinking differently than what's wrong, mm -hmm. you know, what's wrong. There's a problem solution let's figure it out is different from what might this be symbolic of. So that question alone is one of the tools that okay. has them begin to wonder and explore and then start to put words to it um, or, or journal. Um, and then uh, at some point we might incorporate some kind of movement or somatic inquiry that might seem completely un unrelated to some of the thought processes and the cognitive thoughts, feelings, emotions, but, you know, how does your body want to move? How does your body feel as you move it? So uh, there's tools that I call the five pillars of embodiment, which is movement, touch, breath, placement of awareness, and sound. And sound, not necessarily only what we hear, but sound that might emanate as vibration from our throat or our chest or different areas of our body. It's all a way to tune in uh, and feel more rather than just process things in our thoughts. Do people freak out when you're like, I want you to move or make noise? I would freak out. I'd feel so vulnerable. Be like, what do you want me to do? <laughs> That's a great question because I'll usually, you probably might've noticed a couple of times I've, I've used the word might, you know, what might this be symbolic of rather than yeah. what is the symbol? And although that's just one word change, yeah. It's it's an invitation rather than, oh, I've got to find out what this is really about. It's yeah. like, hmm, what do you think this might be like? You know, what might this be symbolic of? So I, I'll often say, what might it be like if you let your body move a little bit? Mm -hmm. So I actually let them start to think about what might it be like before I invite them to do it. Oh. You know, so I might say, 
what might it be like if you if you touch that area of your body as you as you talk about this thing? So they may be sharing about some upset about their relationship with their father or mother. And I say, what do you notice in your body when you talk about this? And, and have them tune in. Oh gosh, I notice I'm holding my chest really tight, or my shoulders are up by my ears, or you know, they're mm-hmm. merely the the invitation to look somewhere and to notice something is incredibly powerful. And then I might invite them to maybe what would it be like if you move and relax or breathe or do, you know, just invitations. It's really a gentle way of inviting people to tune in mm-hmm. and listen and connect. And there's some profound wisdom that we all have in connection to our own bodies that I think we've all unlearned. Yeah. How have we unlearned it? What, what are your thoughts on that? How did we get here? Well, it might be an interesting uh, segue to, to conversation about sex, because I think one right. of the big things is shame. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I think if we look at how we were as children and we just have this freedom of playing with our bodies and moving and being creative and there wasn't much, there weren't many barriers. And then one day we get embarrassed or we get ashamed and we feel this impulse to hide, mm-hmm. hide something, hide something about us some, or some thoughts that we have about us. So yeah. we contract some either emotionally or energetically or even physically will move away. And then for sure, when it, when it moves later on into our exploration of pleasure, we've already got this cloak of shame over that because of what we hear from messages, not all of us, but most of us, you know, family shame around sex, cultural shame, religious shame, mm-hmm. and then it all becomes personal. Right. So that overlay of shame, whether it's in the area of sexuality or whether it's elsewhere in our lives kind of has us shrink back. Yeah. I was just, (laughs) I was just reading Daring Greatly by Brene Brown right before Mm. this. Mm. And she was talking about watching her little daughter, you know, dance and just be goofy. And she told her husband, God, I wish I could be like that. I wish I could just be silly and goofy and she feels so loved and that's why she can be so free. Mm-hmm. And then Brene said, I wish someone loved me that much. And her husband's like, I do. I love mm-hmm. you that much. And it's really perfect for what you just said, because we do all feel this intense shame, no matter where it came from or multiple places that make us feel like we are not strong enough to experience pleasure or be ourselves or ask for what we want. And we're so afraid of someone saying what's wrong with you or no, that we just were like, no, it's cool. It's cool. Mm. I mean, honestly, I'm just going to jump right into the sex talk because like women, I'm sorry, this is a thing. This has always been a thing for us. Like mm-hmm. we have so much shame with our body parts, with our vaginas, with having an orgasm, like taking too long. And we're so mental in sex and any kind of sex, anything that, you know, if we're sitting there or whatever we're doing, thinking about, oh gosh, like, what do I feel like? What do I look like? What do I sound like? You know, is this taking too long? Like, is he, there's just too much going on. You're never, ever going to come and you're never going to have a good time. You're just going to be like performing. And so many women start off their young (laughs) sexual lives performing for men 
Yeah. which is a whole other conversation, but let's just start there. <laughs> we can get to that. Men, and, right. and by the way, men do too. I would you imagine. Know? Look, good. Let's talk about the men and just, we'll get there too. Okay. Right. <laughs> so much. See, I knew it was going to be so much. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will tell you that I find one of the most useful accesses to growth is play. And if you look back to our childhood, that's how we learn. You know, mm. I think there's some famous quote that I love is play is the work of children. Mm. And, you know, really why just children, you know, why, how can we learn to bring play into our adult lives? And it doesn't have to look the same like giggling or digging through the dirt and building a fort or riding bikes. It might not look the same, but what are the qualities of play that have us be curious and have us be filled with wonder and fascination about something? Because when we are in that mode, like you said, of, of being performative, whether it's in sex or whether it's in you know, our work life and trying to fit some image of what we think we should do or some standard or or ideal of how we should be and how we should perform as an employee or as a boss or as a a partner or even as a lover. um, We're, we're, we're not, there's no freedom. There's no curiosity. So I always encourage people to lean in just a little bit to the unfamiliar, you know, the curious aspect of, the unfamiliar rather than the scary aspect of the unfamiliar. You lean in a little too far and it's like, ah, you know, but if you lean in just enough and just allow yourself to be curious, things start to open. Yeah. What, um, what might that look like? Does that look like having more fun with your partner or with yourself or, you know, what, what kind of play are you thinking? I think self-pleasure is a tremendous access that I always encourage people to start with. In fact, I was working with a couple yesterday and a lot of the conversation was about their connection with each other. And part of what I invited them to do is explore some self-pleasure, explore their own body separately so that they can actually learn not just what feels great to them, because what felt great yesterday might not be the same of what your body wants today. Isn't and that I often, weird? That's so strange to me. I'm always like, wait, what? Go on. <laughs> yeah, but then, but we tend to follow the same script. Mm-hmm. Like we know what feels good. We know what we like. Okay, so I'm going to stick with that. So our our access to pleasure is a really narrow lane. Yeah. Um, some, and, and ironically, I find that a lot of people who are really swinging way out beyond that range Mm-hmm. Um, aren't doing, they're doing so kind of emotionally recklessly. Mm. They're just kind of like, okay, let me try something more sensational. Like one of the things that's very popular is, is BDSM and, and right. you know, being tied up and, and rough play, which right. is great. But if you're making the leap from this narrow lane of pleasure, you know, <laughs> knowing what to something outrageous for yeah. many people, they dissociate. They're not in their bodies as they're having their experiences. Right. And that's where you can become performative as well. You're just like, sure, I'm doing this for them. Like, okay, (laughs) is it over? (laughs) Yeah. Um, That's very true. Um, I think talking about self-pleasure is so important in regards to people, especially women who've maybe never had an orgasm. Um, Mm -hmm. one of my dear friends is writing a book right now on that. And Mm. I'm so proud of her. And I 
had no idea until she told me the, like, I knew the book was like a biography, but I thought it was on something else. And then she was like, no, it's on this. And I'm like, what? You totally glossed over that. Mm. (laughs) And, you know, it's on one hand, I'm so glad she's writing it because it's so freeing of all of the shame and all of the embarrassment and all of the feelings she's had around this, but Mm. it's for other women. It's really truly like a, not how to have an orgasm, but how to, you know, move forward in life and to try to have one. So I'm so proud of my girlfriend because she is writing this book for other women, not necessarily on like on how to have an orgasm, but really kind of her journey and their journey together and the both of them, you know, all of them hoping to, to discover this. And all I keep thinking is I just want to know that she's doing enough self-pleasure because I mean, sorry for whoever's parents are listening, but like, that's really like how I discovered what felt good and what worked for me. And, you know, I felt safe and it was, it wasn't like, Oh, I'm waiting to like, you know, I'm not waiting, but I'm, I'm like trying to rush this journey for, for anyone else. It's just like, yeah. if I can make myself come, then someone else can, cause at least I can show them. how. <laughs> and I just yeah. think that's so huge. And going back to the shame thing, you know, religion has a huge part. Culture has a huge part in keeping people really repressed and thinking that their bodies are bad or it's bad to do this, or you should wait till you're married and all of this stuff. I'm sure you've worked with people like that. It's a very common thing, both with male body people and female body people. Um, that, uh, and that's really what ends up putting us in the direction of performative or transactional sex Mm. Um, rather than uh, I know my pleasure and my partner knows their pleasure. So when we do come together, we're sharing pleasure. We're not having to give pleasure. We're not having to rely on them to give us pleasure, but we can do those things as a natural expression of sharing pleasure and having, you know, I'm responsible for my experience. I can, I can, talk and tell you what I need or want, and you can do the same, but it really requires two people learning to to verbalize what feels good. Because like you said, when we first learn it, we don't have to tell our hands, okay, to the left, you know, we just (laughs) move our hand to the left, you know, and we just experiment. So it's this natural flow of, oh, does this feel good? Is this, it's kind of like scratching your own back versus telling someone else to scratch your back. And you're like, yeah. oh, 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 to the left, to the right. And you're actually at the same time, you're trying to verbally direct them. You're right. moving your own body <laughs> to guide them. And right. it's, it's where our words and our ability to direct and ask for exactly what we want. There's, there's a gap there. And then closing that gap with regard to pleasure is not too different from having someone find that right spot when scratching your back. And right. then there's how much pressure to use and how fast to go. It's so like, it's a whole language. Um, and when someone's scratching your back, you just want them to get that spot because there's an itch there. Well, it's right. not too different when it's pleasure and, and it's sex. That's very true. Um, how, how do people get there with you? Like, how does it work? <laughs> I think the most important part is making it really safe for them to have a dialogue about it. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, I really know that that's the first step. So I always do a free zoom call with people. And if it's not 
if we don't, if they don't feel the connection, I say, great, let me find somebody else, you know, and yeah. maybe my gender, it may be my age. It may be, who knows what it, it doesn't yeah. matter to me. And it's really interesting because when I first started, like I said, I was a massage therapist. I wanted to be everybody's favorite. You know, I wanted them to think, oh my God, you're the best. You're the best. But now I'm so clear that there's so many factors that when it comes to allowing someone to support you, that there's so many factors, you know, that would allow me to feel safe. And I think that's one of the most important things in order to really access pleasure. We need to feel safe. Right. Absolutely. Everybody's formula for feeling safe is different. Yeah. I think that's a huge part of why people are disconnected from their partners, but also in even just getting into relationships these days. I mean, this is a whole other podcast, but. <clears throat> are you going to now book me for, for like. Uh, <laughs> we're going to talk about this in another podcast, <laughs> but no, it's, it's the fact that, you know, so many people, I'll just say people, cause it's both men and women, right. are just throwing sex on the table as if like, oh, it's just expected at this date or it's just expected like without really knowing the other person. And to me, I just always think, honestly, unless like if you've done some good work on yourself and you're, you're willing to be in a physical relationship with someone that you intend to trust that you want to trust. Like, that's great. Fantastic. But mm-hmm. like, wait till you trust the person, you know? Cause I think a lot of people are just jumping into it with all kinds of shame attached to it and all kinds of backstory stuff attached to their experience and just being like, well, this is like kind of what what's expected of me. So I'll just like sleep with someone I've gone on, you know, two dates with or one date with or three dates with whatever the thing is. And that's not helping anybody's pleasure or anybody's safety mm. at all. I would love to know your thoughts on this, especially as a man. I, you and I did a, a clubhouse where this was this came up, and I mm. really wanted to say something, but I was very new to this group, so I thought I would just hold off. But this <laughs> yeah, is this is how I felt. Yeah. <laughs> so, what are your thoughts? Well, I'll say something that I noticed has emerged in the last, you know, five years maybe a little bit more is cuddling in a non-sexual way with, with just people you might not know. I mean, there's even a website where you can find a cuddle partner. Wow. You talk for a little bit and then you cuddle. And I'm like, well, that's interesting. And if you Uh think about it, it's non-sexual touch and connection. And maybe you talk, maybe you don't. But there's not some like goal in mind, okay, we're going to take our clothes off and we're going to get crazy. It's, it's about nurturing that part of our bodies that really, you know, our nervous system, there's so much we've learned about the nervous system over the last five, 10 years. Mm-hmm. Our nervous system, co- our systems co-regulate. So, I mean, imagine walking into the room and somebody's really nervous and they, you know, and they're running around. You ought to, I mean, even me just moving like that on the screen, you probably, you know, your, your nervous system yeah, you know, got turned up a notch because yeah. uh, we're meant to, you know, our nervous system, all it really cares about is us surviving. Mm-hmm. You know, the most primitive structures of the brain, it's binary. It's safe, not safe, safe, not safe. And so it's only looking out for our safety. Mm-hmm. So then we have more sophisticated structures that as we evolved as, as human beings, more sophisticated structures of our brain that allow us to feel emotions and communicate and, and talk about emotions and, and think things through. And, and, but still at the bottom, there's this, am I safe? 
Yeah. So if, if you're not safe and you're engaging in higher functions, underneath there's this sense of tightness in your body because it's got to be at the ready to flee or fight or whatever the response would be. Right. So to just calm our nervous system, especially to be connected to someone else who's got a calming presence, mm-hmm. that's amazing in and of itself. And, and I think many of us enter into erotic experiences when we're not aware of whether we're safe or not. Does this feel right? Does this feel good? Is my body in a state where I can actually feel at all? Yeah. Yes. And I'm not sure if that answered your question directly, but I think safety is a fundamental piece of feeling connection. Right. And before we can feel erotic and sexual and turned on, we have to know that that is available to us, that that sense of safety. And with that too, there are a lot of crossed wires for some people who have had trauma and abuse sexually where fearful situations can feel safe to them. Yeah. And fearful situations can actually be exciting for them Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. somehow, somewhere a pattern got put into their nervous system of fear associated with arousal. So sometimes people with trauma and sexual trauma, they are reenacting some of those experiences. And there is a certain logic to it, which is strange, but it makes sense if you know you've survived that experience uh, and, you know, you've survived it so that you can keep repeating it and know that that's actually feels safer than the unknown. Wow. So I think, you know, some people, you know, you hear about people getting out of an abusive relationship and then they go back to the person or they find another person that's equally or more abusive because there's something that not consciously, we know it's insane. It's like, this is not the kind of mm-hmm. relationship that's nurturing to me, but somehow we're drawn to it because it's familiar, even yeah. though it's unsafe, it's safe enough so that I know that I'll survive it. And something that's unfamiliar might be even worse. That is such a great way of putting it. It's something I know that I can survive, that I've already been through it. Whereas maybe I do the sweet, sensual, loving, you know, lovemaking type thing that I've never felt before. What's going to happen to me after that? You know? Oh, wow. Cause, cause, you know, I mean, there's, there are people who are, you know, just jumping into all this sort of violent sex and I don't know. I, I think a lot of people are like, yeah, that's just not my cup of tea. Thanks. <laughs> We're good. But then, yeah, for people who are like just trying it, who don't have abuse in their background, you know, I don't know. I mean, every to each their own and it's, it's whatever makes you happy and feels, makes you feel safe at the end of the day. But yeah, it is. It's always a little confusing to me. I'm like, I don't need to be beat up. I'm, I'm okay. Like we're good. (laughs) It's okay. But that is, that's a thing. And you can actually know what's your cup of tea and what's not. Mm -hmm. And this is not to say that everyone who engages in rough play or kinky things is acting out some trauma. That's not necessarily the case, but in, in many cases, that is the case. You know, but for okay. some people, they actually know that, oh, this is kind of edgy. I want to I lean into this. 
but they do already have a sexual maturity, maybe it's the right word, I don't know, mm-hmm. sexual healing or growth that they've already done. So they're not reenacting something unconsciously. And right. then there's also reenacting something consciously as a way to heal. Yeah. Which is a whole other exploration for some people. Gosh, that's true. Let's talk about that a little bit. How does that, how does that work? How does that happen? Yeah, it, it requires a tremendous amount of consciousness and awareness and actually some work in having uncovered what it is from your history that has your body contract and feel pain, shame, trauma. What, what, how does your body respond? And then allowing yourself to even, in fact, in, in the kink world, they call it create a scene mm-hmm. where there's a very clear beginning, middle and end boundaries are very clear. In fact, one of the things that the kink world brings to the vanilla world is um, a real clear conversation about boundaries. Mm. Um, So um, I know it was incredibly popular, but people read the books, uh, what was the book called? 50 Shades of Grey and then so on. One of the things that did highlight is that there's very clear conversations that are had before engaging in any sexual play Mm -hmm. and even non-sexual, but uh, kinky plays, because there might be Uh, people who engage in BDSM or kink, and it's not necessarily sexual. It's just acting out and moving through something for the experience of it. Actually letting your body move through the physical spaces. Whereas previously when you were a younger person and you maybe even in your childhood going through, it caused your body to hold this trauma, sometimes moving it through it consciously and creating it allows you to move through the experience and have some healing. Oh, so it's like exposure therapy, kind of. Kind of. Um, I think exposure therapy has become considered old school, you know, where you just kind of jump into the, throw the person in the pool, you know. (laughs) Jump in! (laughs) This is much more clear. There's lots of conversations had ahead of time. Everything's consensual and everything's, you know, there's, that's what you probably have heard the terms as having a safe word. Right. Right. So, okay. We stop here because this is getting too, to be too much. So, so there's a lot of dialogue and it's very conscious for most people. I think I could draw the distinction here that there's actually the caricature of what kink and BDSM is. Mm -hmm. And then there's the actual experience of it where people are consciously co-creating an experience that's either focused on pleasure, focused on fun, focused on learning, focused on healing. There's an intention and it's co-created. That's so interesting to me. I'm so glad you are illustrating this because certainly myself and I know other people listening, you know, maybe we're just confused (laughs) by it. But when you put it like this, this actually makes it so much more clear and understandable to, you know, why this exists. And I mean, it's very prevalent, like there's a world and it is thriving and yeah. why, yeah. um, I, that's so interesting to me. Yeah. And it's interesting because that's not my area. That's not my specialty, but I'm very clear about the value and yeah. how to support a couple or people who want to explore that in their relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's really what, what, it means to be a sex educator is actually to have done the work to learn about it. Even if it's not my game, you know, even if it's not my cup of tea, I actually am really clear how to support people in exploring that with their, with their partners or or with, with themselves. Right. When someone comes to you, what 
what is it? Like, where have they gotten in their life that they're just like, I need help because that's very brave. And I think a lot of people just kind of give up, you know, it's like, well, it's been like this for so long. I guess it's just going to be like this. And I just have to suck it up. That's what being an adult is. But for the few that do get to this place of, no, I I don't want it to be like this. I want it to be better. I want to heal. I want to have more fun. I want my partner and I to get to different levels of sexuality together. You know, what, what is it that they, they come with? I would say pain is probably the first thing that brings people in the door, whether that's physical pain Mm -hmm. or emotional pain and, and struggle with something. Some of the most common issues that, uh, I, address with people are physical pain. So people for whom sex is painful. uh, um, And when I say sex, I think this is a big confusion that I work really hard to have people expand their definition of what sex is, because most people, when they're talking about it, they think of it as penetration. And that's, that's just one piece of the pie. That's one expression of sexuality. One exploration in our erotic play is penetrative sex, whether you're, um, you know, a male body person or a female body person, that's just one thing, but we tend to think of that as that's what sex is and everything else is like an appetizer. Got it. Like, no, 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 this is, it's all sexual play. It's all an exploration. And then, uh, so I work to support people in redefining that so that what has it be sex is your intention. You know, you can give someone a hug or a kiss, and it's completely platonic. You know, the way you might kiss your grandmother or the way you might kiss someone else is different from how you would kiss someone that is a friend, how you might kiss someone that you have desire for that you've never had a a sexual connection with versus someone who you can tell there's mutual sexual attraction versus Mm -hmm. someone that you've already been a lover with. There's all different expressions of that. So I think what really makes sex sex is the intention. Right. Gosh, you know, like, that's so true. Did I just... <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I am just learning so much from you today. So I, I am just kind of listening. I'm like, uh-huh. <laughs> Go is on. Is this everything you hoped it would be? <laughs> <laughs> no, this is a great conversation. Um, gosh, yeah, I... I I feel a little speechless too. I think I'm just processing a ton. Um, okay. So, you know, actually I did want to talk about the pain that people do feel yeah. when they're having any kind of in the sexual realm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, because I've, I've definitely met women who have struggled with uh, penetra- penetration pain mm-hmm. um, that never had before. Yeah. And obviously there's some sort of trauma that has happened. Um Let's just talk about that in general, what that means for someone who might be actually experiencing that right now. Yeah, that's a great question. And it's so useful to talk about it because even people that I see sometimes have a hard time talking to their doctors about it. Yeah. Um, So my first suggestion for people is we start talking about what is it so Mm -hmm. they can start to verbalize what it is. And then I always encourage them to have themselves checked out medically. You know, there may be, there's a whole range of things that could be causing pain. It could be post-surgical pain of any kind. It could be postpartum pain. Mm. It could be um, 
uh, something physical that's going on that they could actually discover and that being too embarrassed or ashamed to talk to their, their doctor about it mm-hmm. because sometimes doctors don't even know how to talk about sex and don't know how to talk about pleasure. Yeah. Um, sometimes you'll go to a, even a pelvic floor physical therapist and they will have a tremendous amount of experience, but they might not also address pleasure the way a sexological body worker would. And that's another part of my training is, is actually hands-on touch-based work that might be erotic. Uh, in fact, there was a great Netflix uh, special that really talked a lot about it. And several of my colleagues were featured in that called Sex, Love, and Goop. It's kind of a Gwyneth Paltrow's brand. Um, and they did a really great job to kind of highlight what this field is, particularly the part that might include hands-on touch. Um, so that, that was a great way to actually get a snapshot of a field that's very unknown. Yeah. Um, but I always encourage people to start out checking things out medically. Um, and part of the conversation I might have with someone in the beginning is just asking questions so they can pinpoint what it is that's going on so they can then communicate that with their doctor. So right. that's, that's the first step. And then once we determine what's going on medically or that there's nothing happening medically that's causing this pain, then we could start to look at what are some of the other issues that might be going on. Because as we talked about earlier with the nervous system, that sense of lack of safety or fear has our bodies contract. Mm -hmm. And and particularly when it's uh, an area of the vulva or vagina, that, that can be a contractive area that can be the source of it could be emotional and not physical. Right. Same thing with um, uh, gay men who engage in anal sex or, or even uh, uh, women who engage in anal sex. That could be an issue for them if they're not relaxed and their body is resisting or there's something going on emotionally where they're not able to allow the experience to to be something that's available to them to participate and be engaged and and communicate with their partner. Right. Absolutely. Um, I've definitely worked with some women who have this and it's, it's devastating. It's devastating to their relationships, to themselves. You know, it's, it is amazing. And I'm so fascinated just like you are with how the body and your emotional heart, mind just connect so much. They're so connected Mm -hmm. and that emotional trauma can live in that, in that area and cause all of these, you know, safety precautions, basically. It's like, no, yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah. That clenching, that yeah. immediate response. I want to pull back. And- right. I'm scared. No way. Like we, we've been through enough down here. Like get out, you know, do not yeah. come here. And, um, you know, muscle, you thought you never had is suddenly there it is, <laughs> mm. but, and it's not a laughing matter, but it is something very, serious and can, you know, destroy relationships. And so it's so important to, to, like you said, yeah, make sure there's nothing medically happening, you know, or if you've done surgery, make sure you're healed, make sure like you've done the medical stuff that you need to do and that your body is ready and it's still acting the same way, which a lot of times it will. Um, I'm so glad that you also brought up postpartum pain because, Mm -hmm. Childbirth, guys, 
oh my God, I have not experienced it, but I feel like I have through my girlfriends. I know way too much about it. I really know way too much about it these days. (laughs) And it's brutal. It's just brutal. So yeah, postpartum is a very real thing. It's a chemical thing. It's a physical thing. You know, just- May I, may I offer a Please. different perspective because it is also, I'm not dismissing what you said, it's also one of the most miraculous experiences of someone's yes. life. It is. So um, I, I have not experienced it either and never will, <laughs> but I've heard both sides. I've heard people say it's brutal. It's, it was, I had a horrible birth. It was, you know, and they share about the trauma of the experience. And I've also heard people say it was the most beautiful experience of my life. Mm-hmm. Even, even orgasmic, there's actually a whole thing about having orgasmic birth and then pleasure right. and climax associated with giving birth. I mean, right. so there's, we have the whole spectrum and I'm not ever going to be able to speak firsthand about it, but I can certainly be, someone who receives someone's pain as, as well as someone receives someone's curiosity mm-hmm. um, and, and ability to share about their pleasure. And I think talking about things can have something move from uh, brutal to use the word you use to maybe less. So mm-hmm. maybe a little bit as we actually can let go of how we've held that in our bodies and begin to communicate and move our bodies and reconnect with our bodies. And it could even move that interpretation called brutal or painful that I might be clenching and holding in my body to one that opens and and allows me to have a little bit more freedom around it. Mm, I love that. I love that for people listening just who have been through that and are dealing with it. It's, I love that you can actually think about it moving into something more beautiful yeah. and eventually pleasurable again. Uh, is, is there anything that we have not covered that you are like, we need to cover mm-hmm. before I get off this zoom? Cause I feel like <laughs> we've just covered so much, but I am down for whatever you have to say. <laughs> All right. Well, there's one thing that, that's popped into my head that okay. people, because people are talking so much about trauma lately. Mm. And I think that it's become really challenging because there are, people who've made it their life's work to really study trauma. Mm -hmm. And then there's somebody who just posts a Instagram meme about something that was traumatic in their life Mm. who, and I'm kind of like, okay, no, you're just upset. That's that wasn't trauma. You know, you're just pissed (laughs) off. That wasn't trauma. So it's like, we've started to use the word itself in a way that the people who really study trauma are like, yeah, not so much, you know, so so trauma has become this word that we throw around. Yeah. Um, so I'd like to just share my definition of trauma. And I haven't studied it as nearly as much as some of the real experts in the field of trauma. But what I, what I look at trauma as too much, too fast, without consent or agreement, plus a story about it. Mm. So those are the things that I see. Because remember, we can have something happen. And, and it's over and done with, but we keep talking about it and we're actually traumatizing ourselves or keeping the, you know, talking about it is like the glue that keeps it in, in place. It doesn't have to have all those four. And this is my definition. This isn't the experts, 
you know, but too much would be something too much for you to experience at one, at one moment, too fast. You know, it's happening all in one moment, whereas the same thing spread out over time might have been fine. Yes. Or or palatable for your nervous system. Um, And without consent is one of the primary things that I work with people on is having an experience of agency. I call it the ABCs, agency, boundaries, and consent. And agency is knowing that I have a voice and that my voice matters. Mm -hmm. My voice will be honored because I have that experience that that I'm going to learn to express what my no is, which is boundaries, you know, where I'm a no. And so I know it here. I'm learning to express it from verbally and sometimes not only verbally, sometimes, you know, with gestures or hands (laughs) physically and consent would be finding my yes, making invitations or inviting someone to engage with me and, or accepting someone else's invitation. Yeah. And there's so many nuances to that. And I think that's fundamental to the work that I do with people, uh, both individually and with couples. I'm so glad you brought that up because that's a beautiful definition. And I think that that should be the definition. Well, we'll just, you know what? I might have stolen it and I don't even know it. I might (laughs) have taken it from somebody. I've been there. (laughs) (laughs) And they're like, oops, sorry. (laughs) No, I I just want to thank you so much. I think that there is so much beautiful wisdom that you have given today. Mm. And please tell people how they can work with you. Your links will be in the show notes, but just for listening right now, how can they find Great. you? I am a self-admitted, horrible person with social media. The best way to reach me is send me an email. I'd love to do a free Zoom consult for anyone who's interested just to meet me and talk to me. You might have gotten sense of being on this uh, Zoom or watching this Zoom, but really anyone who wants to reach out, feel free. It's Steve, my first name is Steve at theremedyonline.com and uh, you know I just love supporting people it's really a privilege to have the conversations that I have with people I'm so grateful that you have me here and invited me to to be on the podcast I'm so glad that we met and I'm so glad we got to have this conversation man thank you so much my pleasure Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. Remember, sharing is caring. Make sure to rate the podcast and leave a review. We really rely on this to help get the podcast out there. Also, make sure to watch the video version on YouTube at That Girl the Podcast.